Whether tonight is your first night uh, here for the Galatians study or you've been here for every week, I don't want to assume that you know exactly what we're talking about here in the letter of Galatians. So I, I, I got you three uh, quick hit points on uh, a review of the book of Galatians. And, and one is just, what is it? It is a letter, just like all of Paul's other writings. So it's important to remember that he would have sat down and wrote this from start to finish uh, somebody, some editor along the way has come in and put a chapter number and a verse number and a subject heading in there. And depending on which commentary you read, those sections all get jumbled up. I read about four different commentaries and they all kind of outline the book of Galatians just a little bit differently. Uh, most likely was written between his first and second missionary journeys. Uh, most likely was his earliest letter um, that he wrote to a group of people that he had had contact with. Um, Galatia, where the Galatians are located, the central region of Asia Minor. Um, and, and from best I can read and best I can tell that if you could sum up the book of Galatians, this letter in, in kind of one sentence or one question, Paul's trying to help the Galatians answer the question, how can man who is sinful by nature come to God who is holy by nature? And so the last couple of weeks, uh, you would have probably done the first part of chapter three and then the second part of chapter three into chapter four uh, that are three of five different arguments that Paul is using to show the Galatians uh, what it means to be justified by faith. Um, and the first four arguments talk about his own experience, talk about the life and the person of Abraham and how God justified him through his faith. Uh, the argument from the law, and we'll finish the last three verses of that section, uh, then an argument from his personal testimony, and then next week you'll look at a story, an allegory, and that, the argument that Paul uses uh, for justification by faith. And so uh, let's just read all 13 of these verses first, and then we're going to kind of break them into to little sections here. So uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 8 uh, through verse 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Verse 12 says, Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of this blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. So these first four verses that Paul is, is kind of finishing up his argument from the law and kind of his his understanding, his, 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 his experience, his impression of what uh, the Galatians were going through in comparison to something that he went through as a young person. Uh, he grew up as a Jew and then became a Christian 
uh, on the road to Damascus. And so he knew what it was like to live under the law. And he's telling the Israel, he's telling the Galatians that you are living, you are not living in freedom. You have chosen to go back and live under the law, a law that they were never under to begin with because they were Gentiles. So they never had to live under the law. It says in verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not gods. They were idol worshipers. And so they, they, they worshiped physical idols. As a Jew, Saul, before he became Paul, worshiped the idol of the law. And he made that his practice, fulfilling the law to the utmost. But in verse 9 he says, Now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. So how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves want you to be once more? And so you see in this, this passage the argument from the law, these, these, these four verses, verses 8 through 11, that the Galatians, they traded idol worship for true godly worship, only to, worship, only to revert back to worshiping the law. And they made an idol of the law. He goes on to explain, he says that you observe days and months and seasons and years. He's not talking about just going one day at a time, but talking about all the festivals and all the special holidays and all the special observances uh, of, of the Jewish tradition. They were being kind of infiltrated by Judaizers who were trying to get them uh, to live according to the law. And finally, he kind of gets exasperated with them in verse 11. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You know, I did all this to help you come to know Christ and help you establish a church and help you live in freedom. I think that's the title of this whole series uh, this semester, Free Indeed. And we'll come back to that concept a little bit here at the end of the, the talk here tonight. But as you think about that, he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. That Paul has done this work, Paul has done these things, and yet now that he's gone and he's writing back to them after having heard how things are going uh, with the Galatian people, with the Galatian church, and he's saying, have I done this in vain? And, and what Paul is basically saying here is, if you could kind of sum it up in one sentence, is this, it's, it's there on the, the note pages about halfway down. It says, Paul is telling the Galatians that they are not acting like heirs of God. See, when, when Paul became a believer, he was adopted into God's family. Uh, when the Galatian church became believers, they were adopted into God's family. And everything that God promised to his son was promised to them as well. The same way that many, if not most, if not all of us in this room have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and, and, and made Jesus our Lord and we have been adopted into the family of God. We are the heirs of God. And all that he has promised in God's word uh, to those that are his people to come in the future. All of that belongs to us. And so why would we trade that for anything else? You know, this uh, last Friday, we spent uh, a few hours, probably not as many hours as I would have liked to, uh, maybe not as many hours as, as Candace would have liked to as well, but we took our kids skiing for the first time. Um, and Tate is a fifth grade boy. Uh, he's pretty athletic. He's uh, uh, 10 years old, never skied before, um, and he took to it fairly quickly. He did pretty good with it. Uh, Olivia, our daughter, struggled with it uh, just a little bit. Uh, not exactly her favorite thing to do in the world. I don't think that she uh, liked getting on the ski lift. I don't think she liked getting off the ski lift. And she didn't like the fact that she didn't know how to stop. Uh, but where we skied outside of Riodoso at the, the mountain there, Ski Apache, what, there was a, a, a kind of a, a flat area 
where several different runs come together, just like many other ski resorts would have. But, but down to the left of that was this bunny hill with this one very short, very, I mean, barely elevated lift, barely elevated. They didn't have a little carp, magic carpet ride that you could take up and not have to get on a lift. And so that was where we took them to start learning how to ski. Uh, we got there, got ready, got all our gear ready to go, got everything set up about 1130 that morning. And they didn't have a ski school lesson until one o'clock. So we thought we've got a little bit of time to go. So we did a few very slow, very gentle slides uh, down that bunny slope and let them ride up that lift. And of course, they crashed coming off that lift. Tate dropped a pole uh, on one and we had to ski down and get it on a bigger lift later on. He dropped his entire ski off of his foot, clanging them together. And so we had to get that figured out. But but what I was trying to tell Tate was, you know, you want to learn uh, on this basic slope so then you can take that to the wider, bigger more adventurous slopes. And obviously you wouldn't go from the bunny slope to a black diamond. Probably wouldn't go from a bunny slope to even a blue. So we worked from a bunny slope to like a traditional full green run. But then, you know, we did that a few times. He's like, I want to go back down there. I said, but that's, but that's boring, Tate. Like you can do this one over here. You've done this one over here, this small one. Now you've done this one that's a little bigger let's stay on this one that's a little bigger and let's go down a different side of it where you can go a little faster. There was a little steeper drop down half of that run. And so he was agreeable to that. But, but I, I thought about that as I was looking at this passage and, and, and what the Galatians did by, by it, you know, they had stepped into this freedom and growing in Christ's likeness. And, the, and then they allowed the Judaizers, they allowed these people, and we're going to see Paul refer directly to them in verse 17. They allowed them to, to convince them that, that a different way of living out their faith was a better way. You know, well, there, there, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with observing a religious holiday, a special day, a feast. We do that all the time. Many of our big events uh, throughout the church calendar year are tied to some special holiday or some special day that's, that's a part of our faith. But if we worship the event itself or we worship the holiday itself and, and not the reason for the event or the reason for the holiday or, or in the Jewish sense, the reason for that festival or that feast or whatever it might have been that they were worshiping, we're, we're not fully experiencing it the way that God has intended us to. The same way, you know, Tate wasn't fully experiencing that mountain the way that he could have when he kept just one run after another down the bunny slope when he was good enough to go down some of the bigger, longer runs. And so as you think about your faith, there are some things that, that we do. There are some things that you and I do individually. There are some things that we do as a church family collectively that are good things. Some of them are even great things, but they're not God's best for us. They're not exactly what God would desire us to do or exactly how God would desire us to do them. Because God wants us to experience His fullness. Um, God wants us to become more and more like His Son, Jesus. And God doesn't want us to just be religious practicers. God doesn't just want us to go through the motions and check off the box of coming to church on Sunday morning. And okay, we read our, our devotion today or we, we said a prayer. But God really wants us to experience life with Him and live as His children. And so Paul is making that argument from the perspective of living in the law. And then Paul shifts in verses 12 through 20, and he starts to talk from his own personal experience. 
with the Galatians and, and, and with the church and, and with the believers there. He says, brothers, in verse 12, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So Paul's sitting here saying, I'm living out and experiencing true freedom in Christ. I've become like you. He's become like the Galatians in that he's come out of the Jewish faith into Christianity and he's not subject to the law the way that the Gentiles, the Galatians, were already not subject to the law because they were not Jewish. And he's, and he's telling them, I've become like you, but you need to become like me. Because now you become like the old me. You become like Saul and you subjected yourself to the law when you don't have to. And you can live, the, the Galatians can live in freedom the way that Paul is living in freedom. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial for you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. See, the Galatians received Paul in a right manner, and he could feel that. He, he could tell that they received him in a right way, in a way that they responded to him and the message that he brought from God to them. But Paul also noticed that something had changed. Though my condition was a trial to you, verse 14, you did not, scorn or, did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. What then has become of the blessing you felt? What has changed? What's different? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. He's saying that if, 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 if his eye was the problem, if his eye was the thing holding him back, they loved him and trusted him so much that they would be willing to cut out their own eye and give it to him so that he could go on and continue and do what God had called him to do. In verse 16, you see the change here. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Something had changed and Paul had picked up on that. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They being the Judaizers, they being the ones within them, the false teachers trying to convince the Galatian church the Galatians to, 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 to follow the law, to live under the law. It says they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. And so Paul's not only saying not only that, but they, they, they being the false teachers in verse 17, are looking to gain a large following. They're not looking to see lives changed. They're not looking to see people come to know Christ, come to be more like Christ. They're just looking to grow a following. He says, they want to shut you out and that, that you may make much of them. It is, always, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul is saying exactly how he feels about the Galatian church, that he's in deep anguish over his desire to see them to become more like Christ that the fullness of Christ would dwell in these people, and that they would experience the freedom that He's experienced. That they would experience the, the freedom that He's experienced in His life and His transition from Saul, a persecutor of Christians, to Paul, a believer, an evangelist, a church planter, a mentor, a disciple maker, someone who was engaged in numerous transforming relationships uh, throughout the course of his life and his ministry. God used him in a very transformative way. And so he's telling the Galatian people that he genuinely cares for them and desires for them to experience full Christ-likeness. 
uh, which I think is the goal of, uh, of what God desires out of us, is that we would, from, from the time we first hear the name of Jesus Christ, even before we became a believer, but certainly once we did become believers, that we would take steps every day to be more and more like Christ. You know, we tell our kids all the time, we don't expect you to be perfect, but we expect you to, to do better, to be good, to be obedient, to be obedient in the right way. God doesn't expect us as His children to be perfect. I don't think that's possible for any of us, even from this day forward, we say we're going to walk out of this room and I'm going to be perfect. It's just not possible. There's always going to be something where we're going to slip up or trip up or, or stumble in some way. Now, but we can become more and more like Christ. We can, by spending time in His Word and examining the life of Christ, listening to and reading and looking at and praying over the words He said and the way He treated people and the way He responded to situations and the things that have been written about Him since then and the things we've learned about His life and His interaction with people since then that, that we can, as Paul became more like Christ, also become more like Christ as well. And so these, these 13 verses or so, what, what do they have to say to us tonight? Um, and at the bottom of your sheet, there are four things that I think are important uh, for you and I to see this evening. And, and the first thing is this. We see this in the beginning in the first few verses that, that the, the Galatian people had, had traded the things of God uh, for the things of this world. So the first two things are, are two things to don't do. And the first one is this. Don't trade the things of God uh, for the things of this world. Uh, and I said before, I touched on this before, but I want to I come back to it again. There, there's, there are plenty of things in this world that are not bad things. There are plenty of things you can do with your time, uh, with your money, with your life that are not sinful things. They're not bad things. Many of them are good things. But are they the best things? Are they the things of God? Are they the, they the things from His Word and from His Holy Spirit moving in your life and leading and guiding you to a certain relationship, a certain friendship, a certain uh, transforming relationship, a certain leadership position in the church, a certain conversation you need to have with a coworker, whatever those things might be that God's calling you to do. And we put those off uh, for something that's not bad, not sinful, something that's good, but something that's not the best thing, something that, that, that's not, that, not something that God has called us to do. And the second thing that, that I, I, I see in this, this passage and this interaction is don't settle for what is good when you can experience what is best. You know, and, and, and Paul writing in this says, I, I've seen that. Where is it? Back in verse, verse 9. You have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? You know, one of the commentaries said it'd be like, it's kind of like exchanging the opportunity to go to grad school for going back to kindergarten. That that was kind of the difference in that, that religious practice in that time. And so as we have these opportunities to do the things that God has called us to do, whether it's you know, taking a step of faith and, 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 and reaching out to a neighbor who never shared your faith with them, you know they're not a believer, you want to share your faith with them, you want to share the change that Jesus has brought in your life with them, or, or maybe because maybe you can just say, I can just be their friend, I can just be nice to them. And eventually they'll see that I'm a good person and then maybe they'll think I'm a Christian and that because I'm nice to them, they'll, they'll want to know Jesus as well. But really take that step and, and experience what is best and let God use you in a mighty and powerful way. 
And number three is not self-serving. I'm not putting it in there uh, because I'm up here sharing God's word with you. But but really what Paul is, is teaching to me in this passage, what he's teaching you as well, is treat those who teach and preach the gospel well. Uh, Paul talks about this in, in verses 14, 15, and 16 about the, the affection and the response he felt from the Galatian people. Even to the point that if he needed a new eye, someone would gouge their eye out and give it to him. And, and, but then you see the turn. Why, why, why have, have I become like your enemy? Because I'm telling you the truth. And so whenever we have someone who we know and we trust, uh, who's sharing God's word with, with us, whether it's somebody physically at our church or somebody that you uh, watch on online, or somebody that you, a pastor, you follow somebody, maybe somebody that's in your own family as a pastor of another church or your life group leader, whoever it might be. When someone is, is, is opening their heart and opening God's word with you and sharing from their relationship with God with you and to you, look at them the way and receive them the way that the Galatian church did Paul. <clears throat> Says you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. Now I, I know that that there are times that you know when when we're hearing someone preach or teach God's word, and there may be something that you know we we don't hear it clearly. We don't understand what is said, or maybe we just feel like, you know what, that's not really speaking to me. Uh, but in a room of this size and many of your life group sizes, and definitely on Sunday morning when someone's in the pulpit, usually Pastor Jeff preaching, that there's almost always somebody that's hearing something from God through that message. There's almost always somebody who, who makes a decision to do something differently in their life because of the way that God moved through his word and through the speaking and preaching of his word. Uh, but, but I hope in my prayers that every time we gather together um, as a church family, every time you gather together just as an individual, that you come in ready to receive God's word from someone who's teaching and preaching that. And then the last one, and I think it's by far the most important one and the one that I want to spend a couple minutes on, choose freedom over bondage. Choose freedom over bondage. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, we see this, this picture that sin... Uh, causes bondage, that, that sin brings about bondage in life, and there is no freedom uh, when there's unconfessed sin in someone's life. And, and obviously for those that are living in sin, those that are not in Christ, their whole life is in bondage. They cannot truly experience freedom until they come to know the person of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and cross from death into life and begin to trust Him and walk and follow after Him each day. But, but even as Christians, we can sometimes fall into bondage. We can sometimes be bound by our own choices. Sometimes we're bound by circumstances that are outside of our control. Uh, and certainly we can be bound by sin that's in our life. And, and so I hope and I pray that as you think about your relationship with God and your steps to becoming more and more like Christ, that you would know that, that you have the freedom uh, in this church, uh, I hope you have the freedom in your life group. I know that you have the freedom one-on-one -on -one to come visit with me or Jeff. If there's something that, that you have, that, that, that you're experiencing bondage in your life, and, and you want to experience freedom, 
the way that God has designed it and intended it for you, that, that you can experience that, uh, that, that we can walk with you through confession. Uh, maybe it's it's person to person. You need to go to that person and say, this, this is something I've done, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, this is something you've done to me, and my response wasn't right. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. Can you explain to me why you did that or why you said that? And begin to walk out of bondage and into freedom and live as the people that God has called us to live in. And you see that uh, throughout uh, this passage, that, that Paul's deep desire and his concern for the Galatians is that they would live in freedom. Um, and and, and at the end of the passage, it's kind of a cliffhanger just because we're not going on into the next section and we don't get full completion yet this week. He says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. He's even struggling with how to write to them because he doesn't understand why they've gotten to the place that they've got. He says, I am perplexed about you. You know, and so I, I would have to think that for those of us who are believers, and I'm assuming that everybody in this room uh, is a believer, uh, if not, I'd love to have a conversation with you before we leave tonight about what it means uh, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But for, for all of us here in this room who are believers, uh, my question would be, then, is there is there some bondage in your life? Is, is there something that you just say, I need to release this doubt, this fear, this anxiety, this sin to God and say, God, take this, take it from my life. Now, replace it with truth, replace it with, with the fullness and the hope of who, who, who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Replace it with the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life and help me, help each one of us each day to choose freedom over bondage, uh, to live in the freedom that God desires us to live in. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you get us to look at your word tonight and thank you for the, the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we go about the things that you call us to do in our lives, that we would choose each day to live in freedom, not in bondage. And that those around us in our family in our household that are living in sin, living in bondage, those that are in our workplaces, those that are in our friendship circles, our neighbors, that they see that and see that believers, that uh, first Baptist father, are living in the true and experiencing true freedom. Uh, that those around us would desire that as well and be able to share uh, where the source of that freedom is and who the source of that freedom is. Your son, Jesus Christ. So we come together tonight to thank you for him. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be here this night. And just bless us as we go from this place and do the things that you call us to do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.